right, if you'll take your Bibles, please, and turn to Acts chapter number 20. Acts chapter 20. We're glad to have all of our families in together tonight. Uh, starting next week, uh, Brother Adam, correct me, uh, Patch the Pirate starts next Wednesday night, correct? So uh, we'll have our kids program. Uh, our teens will start meeting upstairs uh, during the Wednesday night hour with Brother Rob. Thank you, moms and dads, that even though there's not a children's program downstairs, you brought your kids to church anyhow, and uh, glad to have you with us. Uh, we got a couple things on the horizon uh, we want you to be a part of and, and look forward to. On Sunday, uh, September the 10th, we are going to begin uh, a family conference. It will run Sunday through Wednesday night. We have not done one of these in a lot of years. And I've uh, been praying about uh, some things and just felt like now's the time to do this. Uh, Brother Corey Bain, who has now been with us a couple of times, he and his wife are both going to be here uh, for uh, that entire time with us. And the whole focus, of course, is going to be on the family. Whether you are newlyweds just getting started, and we've got a whole bunch of that group, or you are young, uh, young adults raising your children, or you're raising teenagers, or maybe you're like me and your kids are grown, but you got grandchildren. All of us have family. All of us have family, um, and all of our families are unique and different, uh, but we need to understand we're, we're, uh, we are families in very difficult times, aren't we? Uh, we, are, we are facing struggles and, and stresses uh, with, with raising children, grandchildren, so forth. And I, I, no generation in our country has ever, ever, ever had to endure. And the purpose of the family conference is not to, if you will, make us feel bad that we're not doing a good job. It's just to encourage us, give us some tools uh, so that we can do the best job possible, building strong marriages, raising godly children, uh, being a good influence as grandparents, that the whole dynamic changes when the kids grow up and they've got kids of their own and so forth. And uh, we're, we're going to learn how to bite our tongue more effectively. Uh, but there's going to be something for everyone. Uh, we're going to have some... Uh, we're going to do things a little different for this conference. In Sunday school, uh, we're going to uh, have the ladies in one place and the men in another. And Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Bain is going to speak to just our ladies and teenage girls. Brother Bain uh, will speak to the teenage guys and to the adult men. We'll be all together for the morning service. That Sunday morning, we are going to have a baby dedication. And I think we're at seven or eight little ones uh, that are going to be dedicated on that Sunday. And if for some reason you weren't here last week uh, or the week before and forgot to sign up, if you call the church office, we'd like to include you. And that's always a wonderful time. This will be the first time that I can remember that we're not dedicating a Sealy baby to the Lord. Um, uh, but we're gonna, that's always a sweet time. Uh, then we'll have uh, Sunday morning service after that. Sunday night service is normal. Monday evening at 7, we'll be in here. Uh, Brother Bain is going to speak to our uh, junior and senior high school uh, during Bible class every morning uh, during the conference. Tuesday night, we're going to do things very different. Uh, we're going to have a children's service on Tuesday evening. 
we are then going to have split services again. The teenage girls and ladies are going to be down in the cafeteria, and it's going to be like a ladies' tea, a mother-daughter type thing. Uh, it's going to be all decorated up and uh, things, uh, you know, beverages and stuff like that. It's going to be a real sweet time. Mrs. Mrs. Bain will be down there with you. And uh, fellas, we'll be up, uh, uh, up here. Um, I don't know how much we're going to decorate. Guys don't really worry about that. But we will have food and, and uh, the coffee pot will be on and uh, things like that. And we're, we're just going to do some, uh, a split service that night and then Wednesday night back together again. Again, just a time to focus on family, the importance thereof. Um, how, to, how to be a godly teenager, a godly husband, wife, that type of thing. Uh, again, that starts on September the 10th, uh, and it'll end then the following Wednesday evening. For Monday and uh, Tuesday night, we need some nursery workers. Normally, we don't have service then, uh, and we have a great group of ladies and teenager, teenage girls that help with that. We had hoped to hire some young people from New England's uh, Baptist College to come in, uh, but because school is just literally getting started up for them, uh, it, it's just not uh, possible for them to do that. So uh, ladies and teen girls, I know nobody wants to miss a special type service or whatever, but we could use some help. Uh, there's some signups out on the bulletin board. I saw a couple spaces already filled up this evening. If you can help us with that, uh, we would greatly, greatly appreciate that. And then the Saturday after that, since we're focusing on family there, uh, one of our newlywed couples is having their wedding reception, and that would be Mr. and Mrs. J.J. Simmons. Um, and there's a sign-up out here. That'll be Saturday, uh, September 16th, starting at about 3 o'clock at the Simmons home. Is the address out there? Okay, um, and so, and if, you, if, if you're not sure, we can, we can get you there. It's an easy place to find. Check the bulletin board and sign up, and it'll be a great way to encourage uh, this new young couple. Saturday, we'll be going out sewing, soul winning at 10 o'clock. Teen soul winning will pick up again a week from this Friday. Um, and so we have a number of adults that also join at that time, and it's about 3.45 or so they head out. Uh, if you have questions, adults would like to be a part of that, see Brother Trelore. Uh, tomorrow morning, Rob and Anna are flying down to North Carolina to be with Brother Jason Garner. Uh, at the, it's, is it a National Youth Workers Conference type thing? Uh, so you pray for them. And uh, some of you are going to be the lucky recipients of my three grandchildren for the next couple of days. And so pray for them. They will be back home on Sunday evening uh, from that. Did you find Acts chapter 20? Okay, I figured if I made enough announcements, you know, everybody could uh, find it and, and get there. Uh, we are on the tail end of Paul's third missionary journey. It's been by far... Uh, the longest journey, he has traveled all the way from Antioch, which is just north of Jerusalem, uh, probably by our estimation, by about 150 miles north. He has traveled all through the region today known as Turkey. Uh, then they called it Asia. He's crossed the Aegean Sea, gone all the way down to the bottom of the Greek peninsula, worked his way back around, stopped at Ephesus, spent three years there planting that great church, uh, took the gospel to literally everyone uh, in Asia. Can you go back, if you would please, to um, uh, chapter 19? 
and verse 10. This is the ministry Paul had when he started the church at Ephesus. And, and it says, and this continued by the space of two years, so that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. That's a phenomenal statement. Uh, didn't mean they all got saved, but they all heard the gospel. That's without radio, television, internet. That's without the printing press uh, or anything like that. It was all by word of mouth. Uh, they started many great churches during that time. Um, it was an amazing ministry. And then, for some reason, Paul backtracked and went back all the way up around and came down through uh, uh, Greece again, spent a little more time in Corinth, and then went back once again. And in Acts 20, uh, he has bypassed the city of Ephesus as he goes down the coastline uh, of the region of Asia. But in verse 17, we read that from Miletus... That is an island area that he, the, the ship stopped at. He sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. Elders is a word synonymous with pastor or bishop. They all refer to the same office. And he called them down to Miletus. When they were come to him, he said unto them, Ye know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons. We've walked through his final message to them. Um, he talks about his faithfulness, not in a bragging sense. He's reminding them um, that, that at all seasons, in the good times, in the bad times, uh, at the times when it looked like everybody was listening and at the times when it looked like nobody cared, he was the same. He was faithful in that which God called him to do. Verses 17 through 19 was his faithfulness during times of persecution. Um, in verses 20 and 21 was his faithfulness in preaching. Uh, nobody was excluded. Uh, Jews and Greeks alike, Gentiles, uh, they, they all heard about the Lord Jesus Christ. We saw, I, I believe it was in our, our last lesson, his faithfulness in his prospects, uh, starting in verse number uh, 22. He said, he, was, he said, now behold, I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem. He knew this is what God wanted him to do. He had a conviction in his heart. A little over 25 years ago, uh, we were happy, content in Jeanette, Pennsylvania, pastoring a church, but we knew beyond any shadow of a doubt that we were supposed to uproot, move our family to Wallingford, Connecticut. We were bound in the spirit, um, and, and that's the way Paul was. He knew he had to go to Jerusalem, um, and he knew that even though he was going to be in a lot of difficulty there that's where he was supposed to be said not knowing the things that shall befall me there save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city saying that bonds and afflictions abide me so here's a man that even though the Holy Spirit is letting him know you've got some difficult days ahead he still went knowing that's where he was supposed to be uh, we need to be careful that we don't get used to testing the wind and to see are they blowing favorable right now. We need to find out, is this what God wants? Uh, otherwise, we become what are referred to as fair-weather Christians. Um, and the Christian life has difficulties. Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, he said, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You live for the Lord, there's going to be opposition 
in, in some manner, in some way, at some time in your life, it's inevitable. Um, you cannot judge, are you going to obey God based on, is it going to be easy? Is it going to be popular? Is it going to be difficult? Uh, Paul's got this, if you will, spiritual forecast from the Holy Ghost. Notice his response in verse 24, but none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy in the ministry which I've received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. None of these things move me. We looked at this a couple of weeks ago uh, when we were in this passage. Uh, Dr. Bob Jones Sr., I believe it was, is the man who said the test of a man's character is what it takes to stop him. What, what, what will stop you from coming to church? What will stop you from sharing your faith? What will stop you from living for God? Paul said, it, it doesn't matter what it is, none of these things move me. Um, he also said, neither count I my life dear unto myself. Um, he said, I, I'm not the one that matters. This is all about Christ. Elsewhere, he said in Corinthians, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Grab a hold of that. For to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Keep your place here. Can I get you to turn to Revelation chapter 12? Revelation is the book in the Bible that tells us how everything's going to end. It's a good book to read, especially as you get to the last chapter, because you find out God wins. Uh, how many are dismayed a little bit at headlines and things you see in the world, and it looks like the other side's winning? Yeah, we, we get discouraged. Uh, that's why we need to read our Bible. Uh, and, and our faith is not based on who's in the White House or who controls Congress. It's based on who's sitting on the throne of eternity. And that's been the same person forever and will be. And that's God and he wins. But the book of Revelation tells us that before that final triumph comes, there's going to be a period on this earth that is known as the Great Tribulation. There's a seven-year period of time coming. A one world ruler is going to come. We refer to him often as the Antichrist. And he's going to dominate. By the way, I believe with all my heart, we're the first generation in the history of the world that can see the events of the book of Revelation take place. We're the first generation that can see that. In Revelation, it talks about two witnesses that are going to be raised up. And they're going, to, they're going to be in Jerusalem. I personally believe that they are Enoch and Elijah. Um, they are two prophets from the Old Testament who never experienced physical death. Now, that, I personally believe that. That's my opinion, and that's, that's as far as I want you to take that, uh, and so forth. And they're going to preach, and the Antichrist is going to try to destroy them, but cannot do that until God says it's time. And then the Antichrist is going to kill those two prophets in the city of Jerusalem, and their dead bodies will lie in the street. And the Bible says everybody in the world is going to see their bodies. Do you realize that even 50 years ago, that was an impossibility? But now because of satellites and, and the internet and all of that, if there are cameras aimed, aimed on that and you, you've got Wi-Fi or whatever, you can just log in and, and you'll be able to see that. Just one little example. I believe everything we're, we're dismayed about right now, it's just the end times. It's, it's coming to pass. But during that time, the Antichrist is going to persecute. They're going to be, after the rapture, a lot of people that are going to start looking for God. 
And they're going to start realizing something happened because all the Christians are gone, the real Christians, not just the ones Christian in name only. Um, and the Bible says there's going to be uh, just uh, multitudes of people from all around the world that get saved, and they will oppose the Antichrist who will oppose them. And there are going to be a lot of martyrs that are added to the list. If you're in Revelation chapter number 12, look if you please, would please in verse number 10. I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren, that Satan is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they, that's the ones that accused them, that's the, the, the brethren, they overcame him, that's the devil, by the blood of the lamb, they were saved by the word of their testimony. That's the word of God. That's the word of our testimony. That's what we base our testimony. That's what we base right and wrong on by the word of their testimony. Read the last part of verse 11 with me, church. Ready? And they loved not their lives unto the death. They loved not their lives unto the death. These are people that are going to be martyred by possibly the hundreds of thousands, if not more. And they were willing to do that for Christ because they loved not their lives to the death. I follow a lot of amputee athletes on Facebook. I'm, I'm, I'm a member of several uh, support groups and so forth. Um, I'm on Instagram. I don't post often because I always forget how to post something on there. And now Tim's not here, so I'll never post again. But... Uh, uh, I, I follow a lot because they inspire me, some of, the, some of the things they accomplish. There's a young man that I follow. He's 18 years of age. Uh, his name is Ezra Freck, F-R-E-C-H. Ezra was born uh, with a deformed arm um, that up in the shoulder and, and before the elbow seems very normal, and then it tapers very, very small. Um, they, uh, he was also born with a, a, a situation with his leg that within a few weeks after birth, his parents made the decision uh, to just amputate his leg ab above the knee like I have now. They took the big toe off of that foot and they placed it on, on one part of the deformed. He doesn't have a whole hand um, and, and so forth. And they somehow attached nerves so that he has a certain amount of pincer-like movement and can grasp some things like that. So from birth, this, this boy's 18, uh, has been an above-the-knee amputee with a deformed arm with a big toe on the end of what passes for hand and so forth. His parents instilled something in him that he, he's never spent a day of his life feeling sorry for himself. Um, and uh, he just, he's, just, he's really an incredible young man. I've been reading up on him and so forth. Uh, about a month or two ago in Paris, France, in the World Paralympic uh, Championships, uh, Ezra Freck set a new world record in the high jump. That is where you run and jump over a bar. He has a running blade like I have. He wears his running blade maybe more than he wears just a regular prosthetic leg and foot. Um, and he set a new world record at the age of 18 um, in doing that. As I read about him, he lives in Los Angeles. He has started an entire foundation. He's 18. 
He started a foundation helping Paralympic athletes, especially young people, uh, overcome their so-called disability um, and, and just break the barriers and, and, and all of these things in a very, very good way. And the truth of the matter is he, he's, he's uh, well-educated. His parents have seen to that um, and so forth. But when it comes to the matter of sports, um, he has given himself um, lock, stock, and barrel to that. He is planning to be on the U.S. Paralympic team uh, in 2024, and he probably will be. It's probably locked for him unless something bad happens in the next 12 months uh, for 2024 because of his recent accomplishments. My point in telling you about Ezra is the fact that um, he lives in many ways a, a normal teenage life, but not to the point where um, he forgets what is important to him. What is important to him is living a life that will help inspire other kids growing up with, with uh, disabilities that he was born with and helping them understand there is nothing wrong with you. There is nothing wrong with you at all. He's devoted his life to it. We're talking 10 and 12 hours a day out on a track, running forwards, running backwards, running from side to side with a running blade on around the whole track at a high school. He'll do that for hours and hours. His warm-up is like two hours long, and then, then practice begins. Um, he does uh, the high jump, the long jump. He, he runs uh, speed racing and, and, and so forth uh, in the track and field competitions. What I'm telling you about him is he's got some goals in mind. And he could be out partying like a lot of 18-year-olds do. He could be out drinking and boozing and, and, and the, the whole thing. He set that aside and, and he denies himself those things because he's got something more important. And he's making a difference. He really is. I, I, I admire him. I, I don't know where he stands with the Lord I, and, and all other things, but as one amputee looking at another, I just really admire his dedication. You understand the Bible says that these believers during the tribulation, they're going to face persecution. You and I don't even comprehend. I mean, we don't even get what they're going to go through. Beheading is going to be the order of the day according to the book of Revolution, uh, Revelation, Revolution, Revelation um, and, and so forth. But these people aren't even going to bat an eye about it. Why? They love not their lives to the death. It's not about me. It's not about what's easy. It's not about what's cool or popular or whatever. It's not about what everybody else is doing. It's about Jesus. They love not their lives unto death. Back in Acts 20, that's Paul. That is Paul. Neither count I my life dear unto myself. Um, why? He said, so that I might finish my course with joy. I just talked about a young man in track and field. Paul said, spiritually, I want to finish my course with joy. With joy. Matt Gerber was there the day that I ran my, did my first 5K. I didn't run it, did I? I didn't even hop it. I walked it. Um, uh, I came in last place, but I finished. And I finished, and I was happy. There's something about finishing, knowing you did your dead level best. Paul said, that's how I want to wrap this whole thing up. And one of these days, we're going to finish our course. Everybody in this room, if you're saved, you're going to finish your course. Every Christian is. The question is, are we going to finish with joy 
Or are we going to finish with, boy, I wish I'd have done more. I, I wish I'd have been more faithful. I, I wish I'd have taken it more seriously. Or I wish I hadn't done that. Boy, I really wish I hadn't done that. Regrets are hard things to live with. Paul said, I'm setting myself aside. I, I, God's warning me what's coming, but, but it doesn't matter because I've already decided I'm going to follow Christ. I want to finish my course with joy in the ministry which I've received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. He said, it's, it's all about this. I want to be a witness about the grace of God that hath appeared to all men in the form of Jesus Christ. I, I'm, I'm a soul winner. My, my whole thing, he said, is about getting people saved. We know in Asia, he spent three years there total, the two years we read about in Acts 19, one year after that. Um, and, and he spent that time, everybody there heard the gospel. He's gonna start in verse 25, building off that last phrase. And I want you to understand his faithfulness now in proclaiming the gospel. This is where Paul is gonna challenge us and this is gonna be a real serious part of the message, okay? Uh, almost a somber part, but it is one of the things we need to understand. And now, verse 25, behold, I know that ye all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. We're saying goodbye for the very last time. It's not like I'm leaving and I won't see you for four or five years. We will never see each other here on this earth again. He says, wherefore, look at this in verse 26. Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Look at verse 26. That might be a verse to highlight or underline in your Bible. Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of, what's the next word, church? All men. All men. We're going to go back in a moment to the book of Ezekiel. If you want to go turn there, Ezekiel chapter 3, Mark, Acts 20. We're going to be back. We're going to use an Old Testament illustration to help you understand Paul's illustration, Paul's statement to these people. The Jewish amongst those elders would, would certainly identify what Paul is about to say, and I'm going to need somebody to help me in just a moment, and I've already picked Tom. You owe me five bucks, Ryan. Okay, um, Ezekiel chapter number three, if you would. This is a message that is repeated uh, several times. Uh, I'm sorry, twice in the book of Ezekiel in chapter three and almost word for word in chapter 33. Look, if you would, please, to verse 17. Son of man, that's God's title for Ezekiel in this book. Son of man, I have made thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore, hear the word at my mouth and give them warning from me. When I say unto the wicked, thou shalt surely die, and thou givest him not warning, nor speakest to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, 
The same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thine hand. Yet if thou warn the wicked, and he turn not from his wickedness nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered thy soul. Again, when a righteous man doth turn from his righteousness and commit iniquity, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die because thou hast not given him warning. He shall die in his sin. And his righteousness which he hath done shall not be remembered, but his blood will I require at thine hand. Nevertheless, if thou warn the righteous man that the righteous sin not, and he doth not sin, he shall surely live because he is warned. Also, thou hast delivered thy soul. Again, the message of these few verses is repeated again almost exactly in Ezekiel chapter 33. Now, I want you to sort of understand. Tom, would you be willing to help me? I'm not going to embarrass you, I promise. If you could come up here for a moment. Almost every city in the ancient world, Jewish or otherwise, built some type, some type of a wall around the city proper as a form of protection. It often didn't cover the entire city. For example, the town of Wallingford stretches out for a number of miles. Uh, in, in all directions from where we are right now. To build a wall around the, the entire town of Wallingford would be quite expensive and engineering feat. They wouldn't have done that. They would have pretty much the heart of town where the, 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 the town seat was, um, maybe the palace um, and so forth. They would have granaries and, and uh, uh, water storage and stuff there. There would be a lot of dwellings and stuff. The wall would be around that part, and a lot of the people would live outside of the wall. So we're going to say that uh, the edge of this platform here is the wall of the city, and the city is behind me. Um, Ryan, I am going to use you. If I can get you to come and just sit over in the nice gray chair that we're all going to buy one so we have it in our auditorium, sit over there by the wall. Please stay awake. And he is wearing a heavy coat, and I'm sweating just looking at that. It's like, what is wrong with you? Okay? So Ryan is inside the city, as, as I am, and so forth. You are residents of our town, but you're living outside the city walls. You've got your gardens. You've got your farms, maybe small businesses, carpenter shops, and things like that. So you're spread out uh, around the, the town. So we got this wall, Ryan and I are safe inside the wall, this is where we live and work and so forth. Um, in every town that had a wall like that, they would have sections on the wall, we might refer to them as a watchtower. Oftentimes, it would be maybe at a corner, the, they would build a, a, a tower that went up so many feet even higher, um, I'm not going to have you stand on anything for the sake of our illustration, okay? Um, and, and higher than the wall itself. But even if Tom is standing here on the wall, he can see beyond you. You're down here working your fields all day long, okay? But they always were in danger of invasion. There were always marauding, marauding bands of people, little, little groups of soldiers or sometimes big ones, and they were always living in danger in the ancient world. And so each town would assign individuals that were called watchmen. They were soldiers, they were paid, 
and they would work a shift. It might be a 12-hour shift in the day. It might be a night shift, or they might work four-hour shifts at a time, that type of thing. And Tom's entire job is to just stand here and just scan the countryside all day long. He wasn't allowed to be doing this in case there was, you know, you know, it's, it's, it's the Wallingford Town Fair, you know, and, and the carnival's going on and he's back here watching. That's dereliction of duty because the danger's not going to come from there. Any danger's coming from somewhere out here in the hills, uh, uh, whatever, from the forest or whatever. Tom's job is just to watch because you can't, number one, you're, you're down here. You can't see off in the distance as far as he can. They didn't, they didn't have spy glasses. They didn't have telescopes. They didn't have binoculars in those days. So you, you, you have glasses. You might not have qualified for the job like me, okay? But uh, he would just watch all day long. There would be somebody down at another corner doing the same thing. And all around this walled-in portion of the city, there were these watchmen. If danger came, the watchmen had a trumpet. Now, when we think of a trumpet, we think of that um, musical instrument made out of brass. In their days, it was probably a ram's horn trumpet. They have a very deep, bellowing sound. Um, I, I saw someone on, when I was in Israel, and sometimes they're from a, some type of animal, and they're somewhat uh, corkscrewed a little bit. Uh, I saw some that were this long and longer, and the different shapes and lengths of them give it a different sound. The watchman always had a trumpet, always. And he's standing there. Now, if everything's fine, he just stands there. Kind of a boring job, okay? He doesn't have an iPad. Can you imagine life without an iPad? It's not worth living, is it? Okay, doesn't have a phone, doesn't have anything like that, and he wouldn't be allowed to use it anyhow, okay? His job is just to stand there looking out for your safety. Okay, but if he sees an enemy come along, or he sees a cloud of dust arising, he sees something that doesn't look right, his job is to blow that trumpet, and they had signals. Uh, if it was a town meeting and they needed the, the elders of the town to come in for a meeting, they had certain signals for that, but they had signals. It, we have fire drills in our school. They had drills like that, and in most ancient uh, cities and stuff, just to make sure these people knew what, what a warning trumpet sounded like. Now, there was no law that said you have to come into the city when you hear the trumpet. There were always the people saying, I'm going to take my chances. Hurricane, what's, what is it, Adalia? Vidalia, like the onion, I don't know what it is, is, is bearing down on, on Tampa and stuff. It may already be there. I haven't followed uh, the news today at all. There's a whole lot of people that they're warned get out of the way this thing's going to be bad they're talking about two hurricanes that are going to hit together and and it's going to be like this hurricane explosion type thing but there are people i've been through hurricanes since i was four years old i'm 112 i'm not afraid of no hurricane you know and they'll find their body wrapped around a balloon or something like that somewhere there's always that person that i'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna just do this uh, and so forth and and that was that's fine that's fine. But most people were smart enough when they heard that trumpet to know there's some kind of danger. You didn't necessarily know what it was. 
They're just letting you know there's danger and you need to stop what you're doing and run inside the city wall and uh, they would bar the gates. They could see when it looked like most of the populace was in there from various directions. They would bar the gates and so forth. And if you didn't come in and it was an army, you're gone. But he's okay. He did his job. But if he fell asleep or he was playing cards or, um, you know, he, he was just turned around looking this direction, if he didn't blow that trumpet and it really was danger, it was some kind of a, an enemy that was coming in, maybe it came in from this side and you people wouldn't necessarily be affected, but it would come in from this side or not. And sometimes that's the way they worked. Raiding parties would just swoop in, do as much damage as they could, uh, steal that they could and sometimes all they wanted was your food that's that's all they wanted was your food um and and they would do that and leave and people over here died because you were sleeping or goofing off or just not doing your job they had a very strict punishment for a watchman who did not blow the trumpet and people died as a result you died their blood was on your hands that's, that's the way they looked at it. They died because you were negligent and you were going to pay a price. The person put in the watchman's position was trusted and everybody out here is depending on you to keep them safe because they can't see the danger coming. We good? Okay. Um, there's also another aspect of the watchman. Are we all right? Okay, there's another aspect of his job. He's blown the trumpet and people here are starting to grab up their kids and, and, and maybe some, some extra food stuffs and, and, and if they've got any money, they're gonna come into that city and they're gonna rush as, as well as they can. Let's say that Ryan here, Ryan here lives out there with y'all. He came in for the carnival, okay? And he's... he's uh, He's inside the city. Is he safe? Yeah, he's inside. He's under the safety of the wall. But he says, oh man, but, but I, 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 my, my pet kitty is out there, Fluffy. And I, and, and I love my Fluffy. And uh, he's blowing the trumpet. He's doing everything he's supposed to do. But Ryan says, no, 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 I need my kitty. I, need my, I can't sleep without my kitty and my blankie. I gotta have both of them at night. And so Ryan leaves the safety of the city. Ryan leaves the safety of the city and goes out here for his kitty. Now, he, did he hear the trumpet? Yes or no? Yes, he did. But he went out there and put himself in danger. As long as Tom blew the trumpet, you're innocent, you're an idiot. And I mean that in love. You, you're, you're responsible. You made a really poor decision, okay? Uh, for whatever the reason, and we, we sort of made a joke out of it, but it wouldn't have been, you walked out into to danger. That was the job of a watchman. Now, if you, you, you were headed out of the city and all of a sudden he blew the trumpet and you heard it, wait, wait, something's going on out there, and you just changed your mind, you came back in the city, okay? Everybody's good. 
But if he didn't blow the trumpet and you went out and walked into danger and they got you, he's in trouble. How many are okay with the illustration? Okay. God told Ezekiel not once but twice, said, son of man, I have set thee as a watchman on the wall. He said, if you warn the wicked of his wickedness and he doesn't obey you, he doesn't repent, he doesn't turn to God, you're okay. He'll die in his iniquity, he'll die in his sin, but you're fine because you blew the trumpet. You sounded the warning, okay? If you sound the warning and he turns, then that's even better. He, he, he repents and, and, and uh, uh, gets right with God. You've, you've helped him save his life from destruction. But if you don't warn him and he dies in his sin, you don't tell him about salvation. We're not talking about from an enemy army now. We're talking about the judgment of sin. So you don't warn the wicked of his wicked way and he stays that way and he dies in that wickedness. Yeah, he died in his sin. He's lost. He's condemned. But his blood's on your hand. Same thing goes with the righteous, the one inside the city. If you see a righteous man and he's backsliding and he's, gonna, he's going back out to the world. Now, he's not going to lose his salvation. But sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Okay? And you, you see it happen and you warn him. If he just keeps going on in his way, he's, he's going to pay the consequences of that. But you're okay because you, you tried to warn him. But if you don't warn him and you see him doing wrong and you don't warn him about it and try to help him come back to God, his blood's on your hand. How many understand the watchman? Okay, thank you guys. Appreciate your help. I told you I wasn't going to embarrass you much. Him, yes, because he's got fluffy and his blankie. Go back to Acts chapter 20. Now remember Ezekiel 3, Ezekiel 33. Just remember the numbers 3. That same message is twice. Why does God repeat things? Why does God repeat things? He's emphasizing. We're going to go back now to Acts chapter 20 and verse 26. Read the whole verse with me. Ready? Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. Paul did not use that phrase pure from the blood of all men by accident. Paul was a Jewish scholar before he got saved. Many of the people in his hearing, their scriptures that they would have studied in the New Testament church would have been the Old Testament. Ezekiel would have been one of their texts. He is using a reference and an illustration that they understand. Paul says this, I take you to record about this. I am pure from the blood of all men. Let's say that you represent everybody Paul's ever come in contact with in Asia and all those places he's traveled to. Okay? Did everybody he witnessed who get saved? Yes or no? No. In fact, all, all the persecution he underwent was people that rejected the, 
the gospel. And sometimes it was the majority that rejected the gospel, but they all heard it. They all heard it. Paul said, I take you to record. In other words, he's saying, you know this is true. My hands are clean. There's nobody out here that your blood is on my hand. I sounded the trumpet. I sounded the trumpet. I went, I'm gonna try to get down the stairs, may never get back up. I went to the Reamer's house and told them about Jesus, told them how to be saved and they trusted Christ as savior. Then I went next door to the Gerber's house and told them the same message about Jesus. They didn't want anything to do with it, but I told them, I told them. I saw the Smith's house and they're in a motorcycle gang, both of them. She's a motorcycle mama. They're tatted all over the place. They are the scariest people on the planet. So I just bypassed their house because I was scared of them. But I went back here because they look innocent and harmless and they got two of the cutest kids in the world sitting with them and told them about Jesus, okay? First of all, Paul would have never done that. Paul said, yeah, they, they might've been scary looking, but I told them about Jesus too. And then I went over here and told them about Jesus too. And then I went back here and I, I, I told this young lady about Jesus too. And, and Paul said, I am pure from the blood of all men. There's not one person in here that I didn't tell you about Jesus. And if you rejected Jesus Christ as your savior and you die and you go to hell forever because you rejected Christ, it's not on me. I am pure from the blood of all men. And all of those elders from Ephesus, they understand the illustration. Would you think about what Paul is saying for a moment? There is no one in Ephesus. We know in Asia, everybody heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks, Acts 19. There is no one that that man ever came in contact with that he did not try to tell them about Jesus. No one. We're talking the gas station attendant, the Dunkin' Donuts person or the Starbucks barista. We're talking about the mechanic that worked on the car. We're talking about the next door neighbor. We're talking about the boss. We're talking about the in-laws and the outlaws. We're talking about the people in the rest home and the prisons, anywhere Paul went. He, did, he didn't care what they looked like, what side of the track they were from, whether they were Jew, whether they were Gentile, whether they were rich or poor or young or old. He, he didn't care. They just needed to hear about Jesus. He sounded the trumpet. I'm pure from the blood of all men. We treat the sharing of our faith, the telling of people the gospel message, the Great Commission, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature, we treat it as an optional thing. There are people in this room, you've never told one person how to be saved. Do you understand according to the Bible when we do that? If they die in their sin, their blood's on our hand. Think about that for a moment. We've got such a different mindset than first century Christians had. We've got such a different mindset that Christians in the great tribulation had or are going to have. Both sides of the timeline had a devotion to Christ 
and the message of Christ that it consumed them or will consume them. And we're like, if I do, I do. If I don't, I don't. But one day, we're going to find out we got blood on our hands. We got blood on our hands. Is that what we want? What an amazing testimony for Paul to say, wherefore I take you to record today, I'm pure from the blood of all men. All men. I've been thinking about that verse for weeks now, long ago when I was studying, putting this study for the book of Acts together, the blood of all men. I have to be honest, I can't say... I'm following in his footsteps. I, I try to witness. I, I, I try to share the gospel. I have tracks in my car and, and all those kind of things, but can't say that it's to the, to the level of Paul. I'm pure from the blood of all men. I can't answer for you. I'm not trying to browbeat anybody. I'm really not. But I am trying to alert us to the fact Jesus died for all those people that we're rubbing shoulders with and passing and all that kind of stuff. Are we doing anything to let them know? Are, are, are we doing that? Or is soul winning an optional feature like the car we buy? It's, it's not optional in the Bible. Just like church isn't optional. Just like kindness isn't optional. Just, just like forgiveness isn't optional. Sharing our faith it's not optional. And I can't make anybody get saved. I'm going to be honest with you. If I could, the man who came Sunday night in church, he'd have been saved four and a half years ago. He'd have been saved a long time ago. I can't make that happen, but, but trust me, someday I'm going to stand before God. I spent two hours almost every week of my life for four and a half years with that young man. Um... As I mentioned, he didn't even know that what Tim did was called preaching. He, he just, he, he's, his background's not there. Um, every week, it's adding to it. Every week, it's, Lord, how, how, can I, how can I get this message? How can I help him understand? He's asking questions and all those kind of things. Man, I want him saved. I want him in heaven with me for all eternity. I want him to meet my wife. I, 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 he needs to hear her laugh. He really does. But oh, God forbid he should say no. That's going to be hard enough. What will be even harder is if he says no because I never told him. And I have to look and realize his blood is on my hand. I don't want that. I told you this is a sobering message, isn't it? We have to have the sobering message as, as well as the one like Sunday morning about, uh, you know, peace and, and, and not being filled with worry and the cure for all of that. We need all of that. Um, there's a world that needs to be saved. The place where the Gerbers are going to serve Christ is now becoming a dangerous place. I'm reading the headlines. It is now the number one most populous nation in the entire world. Think about that. 350 million people live in our country. Have we witnessed even one of them? Surely we can do that. Can we bow our head and close our eyes for prayer? I'm not.